Both of the uh, readings, uh, or all three of the readings this morning, are in connection with the fact that today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, and so we'll, we'll bear that in mind as we read Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on, the, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, com- my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, And you shall set set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Do, do not go near a woman. On the third day, of, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then chapter 20, we read earlier, uh, God gave them the Ten Commandments. Let's now turn to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 14, and then we'll pick up in chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 21. Acts 1, beginning in verse 1. The author here is Luke, that's the I uh, in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom, of, restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And we'll continue our reading in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these... All are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, great, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So far, our reading from Acts chapter 2. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing together from For this morning's sermon is Acts chapters 1 and 2. It's really more of a thematic sermon, a topical sermon like our afternoon sermons are, but we'll be pulling these themes out of Acts 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, today is the day of Pentecost, which the Christian church celebrates every year. Now, the word Pentecost can uh, perhaps make us think of different things. Different people will hear the word, and different connotations or ideas will come into their minds. For some, when they hear the word Pentecost, uh, they think of the Pentecostal church movement. Uh, Churches that speak in tongues, that claim to uh, possess miraculous uh, powers or gifts, uh, prophecies. Some of these churches, you might even say, bordering on the crazy, uh, doing things that uh, are are, uh, beyond reason, uh, sometimes also raising legitimate concerns uh, about fraud and and fake miracles. It it is a very real phenomenon among uh, the Pentecostal church movement, those who profiteer among uh, profiteer on these things. Uh, The Pentecostal movement, it's massive all over the world, particularly in South America, in Africa, in Asia. Uh, It's the fastest growing uh, branch of Christianity. Uh, So some might, when they hear Pentecost, might think of that. Uh, Those of us who've grown up in Reformed churches uh, will typically, when we hear the word Pentecost, will think of the events that we read in Acts 1 and 2, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Not too many people, when they hear the word Pentecost, think of the Old Testament. we, We easily forget that before Pentecost was a Christian holiday or a Christian feast, it was a Jewish feast. And that should make us wonder, well, what what was the Jewish feast all about? Uh, We know and we confess as Reformed churches, the New Testament does not just stand there on its own, but is built on the foundation of the Old Christ did not come as the bringer of a new religion, but as the fulfillment of all the promises God made in the Old Testament. And so we see our faith as the continuation of the faith of Abraham and Moses and all of the saints of the Old Testament. And when we look at Judaism today, we should not have in our minds this idea of of one religion that continues to today and then Christianity that branches off, but rather quite the reverse. Uh, we, we ought to see uh, rabbinical Judaism, the Judaism of today, as that which branched off, broke off of the faith of Abraham and the saints of old. Uh, and so Pentecost too did not appear as a new thing 
2,000 years ago in Acts 1 and 2. It was already a a huge, uh, momentous feast among God's people. And so what we want to ask then is, what was that feast all about? What did it point to? Uh, In this way, uh, our hope is that by, by understanding this, we can enrich our understanding of what this feast also means today. Uh, And in particular, we we may hopefully be able to see ourselves as part of God's larger story of redemption, uh, of which Pentecost is a part. And so we we turn first to the Old Testament. Uh, The Feast of Pentecost was not always called by that name. Uh, It used to be called in the Old Testament the Feast of Weeks. Uh, You can read about this in Deuteronomy 16, describing uh, the three major feasts of the Old Testament. Uh, There were many other smaller feasts, but there were three main ones. One is the Feast of Passover. Uh, We we spoke of that only a few, a couple months ago, or a month and a bit ago, when we uh, celebrated Good Friday. Uh, Do you remember the Feast of Passover, the night when God delivered Israel from Egypt and the angel of God uh, struck down the firstborn of, of Egypt, but then passed over the houses of God's people. Uh, they celebrated Passover with the sacrifice of, of a lamb, an unblemished lamb, uh, pointing, as, as we saw then, uh, pointing forward to the cross of Christ. So there was Passover, then there was the Feast of Weeks, uh, which came to be known later as Pentecost. And then there was the Feast of Booths, uh, booths or, or tents, uh, in which uh, the people of God were literally commanded to go camping for a week, uh, which you can only imagine must have been a favorite among, uh, among the kids in, in Israel, um, perhaps less so among, among the parents. Uh, but those were the three major feasts of, of Israel. Uh, and there in the middle, the Feast of Weeks, uh, which is Pentecost, uh, it was celebrated at the end of the wheat harvest. Uh, it sort of functioned like our Thanksgiving Day uh, that takes place at the end of, of the harvest. Uh, and it took place exactly 50 days after Passover. Uh, hence the name Pentecost, which is just Greek for 50 days. And that's what the word means. And so you can read about this in Deuteronomy 16. The Israelites were commanded to count down the days from Passover, from the Sabbath of the Passover. Uh, they would count down 49 days, and then the next uh, day uh, would be Pentecost. Uh, hence the Feast of Weeks. They were to count down a week of weeks, seven weeks, 49 days. Uh, and, and that feast then, uh, in that feast they would celebrate the harvest. Now the Jews understood this as, as being more than just a Thanksgiving day, more than just about the, the wheat harvest that they may have gathered that year. They understood this, like all of the feasts, uh, as pointing to redemptive history, pointing to what God was doing or would do for, for the world. Uh, and in this, this feast in particular, uh, they understood as pointing forward to the harvest of righteousness and the harvest of all the nations that God would one day harvest from the world, that God would gather in. 
Now there's a connection here uh, that the Jews understood to the promise made to Abraham. Uh, back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, when God first came to Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham, uh, the Lord said to him, uh, you know, go from your, your country and your kindred to a new land that I will show you and I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you. Uh, and he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There was the foundational promise, the, the first word spoken to Abraham, already looking forward to, to this day, the harvesting of all the nations. In you, I will bless all the families of the earth. Well, that's the great harvest then that Pentecost was used to celebrate. Uh, when all the nations would be gathered into God's kingdom, uh, gathered into God's people, and then also taught God's ways. Hence we speak of a, a harvest of righteousness among the nations. Uh, it's not just that they'd be gathered into in name among God's people, but that, that God's righteousness would be established among them. Uh, one of the ways that this was often commemorated by the Jews was through the singing of Psalm 67. We sang it earlier. Uh, the psalm is carefully crafted for this feast, uh, built out of seven verses with seven words each to mark those 49 days. And you see that harvest theme uh, there in, in Psalm 67, uh, verse, verse 6, for example, The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. But you notice in that same psalm, uh, that, that same redemptive perspective uh, of the feast, the overall uh, thrust of the psalm is not even about the wheat harvest, uh, but about that great harvest of God. So you look at verses 1 to 3, for example, of Psalm 67. Uh, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that your way... Uh, may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Uh, So as the Jews celebrated this feast, at least in ancient times uh, when this psalm was written, they understood the, the purpose of this feast. However, over time, many Jews lost sight of the redemptive dimension of this feast. Uh, When you get to the time of the New Testament, uh, we're familiar with with some of these different categories of of Jews. Uh, I mentioned them before in a sermon in the last couple weeks. Uh, The the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, and and so forth. Uh, And uh, the Pharisees in particular uh, had had zoomed in on, on the law. The law as the hope for, for Israel. And all of their, their focus uh, and their very reason for existence was their devotion to the law. Uh, and so the Pharisees uh, and the Jews over time as a whole as well uh, used the occasion of Pentecost uh, to celebrate uh, when they asked, what was this feast about? If you were to ask them, they would have said, it is to celebrate the giving of the law. They would read uh, Exodus 19 uh, to commemorate the occasion. Uh, The Jews Jews were not all wrong in making that connection. Uh, After all, uh, what does the harvest of nations or the harvest of righteousness among the nations mean if not that the nations are taught God's law, right? To, To know Him, to obey Him. 
Uh, that is our hope. That, that was God's promise. Uh, Israel was to be a, a light to the nations precisely so that uh, they would come to know God's ways. Uh, Psalm 67 uh, is also very, very clear about this. Uh, For example, verses 4 and 5, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. It's it's an allusion there to God's law uh, functioning in practice among the nations. Uh, we read about this as well on uh, Ascension Day only a, c- a couple of weeks ago uh, from, from that great prophecy in Micah 4. If you remember that, uh, speaking of the latter days, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains, uh, and uh, it shall be uh, lifted up above the hills. Peoples will flow to it, and many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that what? So that He may teach us His ways. There's the law, right? Uh, And that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then He shall judge between many peoples and decide disputes for nations far away. And that's the harvest, that same harvest that Pentecost looks forward to. And we do see there uh, the, the central role that the law plays in, in that harvest. So the Jews were not altogether wrong in commemorating the giving of the law. Uh, we might mention as well, uh, the timing of the Feast of Weeks also supports uh, that connection. Uh, Fifty days after Passover, exactly 50 days, uh, where did Israel find itself? Uh, having left Egypt, 50 days later, they were standing there at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19, which we read. Uh, and there they were given the law. And we read about that. It was a, a terrifying day, a terrifying experience. Smoke and flame and a voice thundering uh, from the mountain. And so this is why the Jews then, uh, by the time of the New Testament, uh, if you were to ask them, what's this feast all about? They would have said it's to commemorate the giving of the law. And that is how the Jews to this very day, uh, how rabbinical Judaism continues to, to celebrate uh, the Feast of Pentecost as, as a commemoration of the giving of the law. Uh, the, the 49 days that count down to the day of Pentecost uh, came to be known over time as, as the period of waiting for the gift. Waiting for the gift, by which, of course, they refer to the law. So, is that it, though? Is that what Pentecost is all about? To commemorate the giving of God's law. Is that what our, our hope is for? That, is that what we are waiting for? Well, no, the Jews, the Jews lost sight of something over time. In fact, uh, you might point to two things that the, the Jews lost sight of. Number one, many of them lost sight of the global scope of God's promises. Uh, they became obsessed, you see this in, especially in the time of the New Testament, obsessed with Israel's unique identity among the nations, uh, forgetting that, that all along from day one, God has had His eyes set on, on the nations. They forgot that promise to Abraham, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Uh, and number two, insofar as they, they made Pentecost all about the giving of the law, they failed to understand how powerless 
the law had proven to be in their own history to produce that harvest of righteousness that Pentecost looks forward to. Uh, The law, without the Spirit of God changing hearts, the law cannot bring about the righteousness that they hoped in. This was really the, the central error of the Pharisees. They believed that the law had power to bring about righteousness. And so they devoted their entire lives to the law. uh, And they failed to realize how powerless the law had proven to be over many generations, many centuries. Uh, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had had staked all of their hope on the law. Uh, In fact, they even went beyond God's law, uh, inventing for themselves rule upon rule, fences around God's fences, uh, to be able to ensure that everyone was keeping God's commandments. Uh, And they were convinced that in this way they could make themselves righteous before God. Uh, And again, so they are to this very day. Uh, That's what rabbinical Judaism is all about. It's observing the minutiae, the the, the tiny commandments that surround the greater uh, commandments. Uh, The observance of of regulations about food and drink, uh, ceremonies to observe, or what can or, or cannot be done on the Sabbath day. Just to give an example, I may have used this before, uh, but uh, to give an example, uh, an Orthodox Jew, say in in New York City, uh, might go into a a building, uh, one of the many skyscrapers in in New York City, uh, and would want to get into an elevator. If he's doing that on the Sabbath, he, he he has to wait until a Gentile can come alongside him to get into the elevator with him and press the button for him. Why? Because by pressing a button you are creating a spark. And by creating a spark, you are lighting a fire. And the law of God says you shall not light a fire on the Sabbath day. It seems silly. It seems absurd. uh, Because this is not what makes you righteous before God. But this is what the rabbinical tradition is all about. The observance of these sorts of commandments. Uh, And so what the Jews fail to understand uh, is that their observance of the law was not making them any more righteous. Uh, All of their obsession with the law was doing nothing to change their hearts or to change their lives for the better. And they could look at their own history, uh, the history of the people of Israel uh, as recorded in the books of Kings and Chronicles, and one can easily see the law by itself doesn't change people. It doesn't bring about the righteousness that we hope for. And this was something the Lord Jesus had to continually point out to them. Your observance of the law is not making you any better. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Uh, Their their observance of the minutiae uh, was not helping them to keep the great commandments. Uh, We we read the greatest two commandments earlier uh, in this worship service. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Keeping ceremonies, keeping regulations, building fences doesn't help with that, the greatest of all the commandments, from which all other obedience springs. The Jews forgot their own history, in fact. Uh, Think back to Exodus 19 uh, and that momentous occasion when the law was given. What happened right afterwards? Uh, From Exodus 19 to 31, uh, that records the the giving of the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but a number of other laws about sacrifices and the tabernacle and so forth. Uh, What happens after the giving of the law, after God has finished speaking uh, on Mount Sinai? Well, Exodus 32 happens. Uh, The greatest tragedy in the history of Israel, they broke the law immediately. And in the most egregious way, setting up these these golden calves uh, to, to, to worship them as God. Uh, the text says they, they, they worshipped these calves and then they rose up to play, a, a euphemism for, for sexual immorality. Uh, and so then what happened? God had to come to them in judgment. Uh, God commanded the Levites, pick up your swords, go through the camp, kill your neighbors, kill your brothers, kill all those who, who participated in, in this thing. Uh, and on that day, 3,000 people among the camp of Israel were killed. There's the success of the law. Without the Spirit of God changing the hearts of God's people, it doesn't work. It's powerless. It does not give life. And here's a truth that that we should take to heart as well as we think about that. Uh, People will do what they want to do. It seems an obvious thing to say, but it, it really is an important thing to recognize. People will do what they want to do. Uh, Until our desires change, until our hearts are made new by God, not all the laws in the world will do a thing to make us uh, truly live righteously before God. Uh, parents, uh, parents often discover this same truth for themselves. Uh, they, they raise their children in, in Christian homes, uh, under, under very strict homes. Uh, they give them laws and, and rules, uh, and they, they believe that these can be a substitute for discipling the hearts of, of their children. And, and so they fail to disciple their, their children's hearts. They fail to teach them to, to love God. Uh, they fail to draw them towards God. Uh, they, they don't pray for God to capture uh, their hearts, uh, and they discover in the end that the project fails. Uh, If their hearts are undisciplined, children will grow up and ultimately throw off all of the laws, all of the strictness, uh, and, and rebel against it because the law by itself is powerless to bring change. Uh, True righteousness must come from a changed heart. This is what the Pharisees uh, and the Jews failed to understand. So that really sets the stage then for the New Testament and and the uh, Feast of Pentecost. Uh, that We find the Jews uh, to that day uh, continuing to set their hope on the law, continuing to be blind to their own failures to keep the law, and, and blind uh, to, to the law's inability to, to reach the surrounding nations as well. And yet the promise is still there, isn't it? The promise of Pentecost remains. Uh, One day, God has promised the nations are going to be drawn in. One day, that promise to Abraham is going to be fulfilled. One day, there will be a harvest. 
A few months ago on, on Good Friday, when we celebrated uh, Passover, we saw how, how Passover finds its perfect fulfillment in the coming of Christ, and particularly in, in the death of Christ on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God who died the day before Passover uh, to take away the sins of the world, uh, the firstborn of God who gave His blood that we uh, might be uh, passed over uh, by God's judgment. And then on Easter Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, that great turning point uh, in history. And then after the resurrection, the stage goes silent. There's a period of 40-some days where the stage is silent. If you follow uh, the gospel narratives along, particularly Luke's gospel uh, is helpful here, Luke being also the author of of the book of Acts, uh, you learn that that during that that period, Jesus continued to meet with his disciples for a period of around 40 days. Uh, And Jesus' last words to the disciples right before his ascension, his last words are recorded in in Acts chapter 1. We read them earlier. Uh, Acts 1 verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, So now we are uh, just a few days away from Pentecost, and Jesus tells them the same thing they've heard from childhood. Wait for the gift. Wait for the gift. Familiar language, but what gift is it they're waiting for? It's not the law, is it? It's the Spirit, the power of God to actually keep the law. Uh, So Acts 2 then, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all sitting together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The scene there, it's almost reminiscent, at least in some ways, of Exodus 19, isn't it? A violent wind, flames of fire. But the gift that is given is not the law. It's the Spirit of God who gives the power to keep the law. Now this brings me to a bit of a tangential note. I want to spend just a couple minutes on this. Uh, A question that often arises, did the people of God in the Old Testament not have the Spirit? Uh, didn't they need, wouldn't you need the Spirit to, to obey God at all? Uh, wouldn't you need the Spirit to, to live by faith? Uh, it is assumed by, by some, uh, and I'll get to the reasons why in a moment, but it's assumed by some that since the Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, He must not have been with God's people before. I even heard this recently in a lecture uh, where uh, the speaker was marveling at the obedience of of some of the Old Testament saints and said, it's amazing that they uh, obeyed that well and that without the Spirit. And I thought, how? How how could you obey without the Spirit? It's a misunderstanding. Of course the people of God had the Spirit of God with them uh, then as well. Uh, Psalm 51, a psalm of David. David prays, take not your spirit from me. Does does that not mean that the Spirit was with David? Uh, Many others uh, as well are specifically mentioned as as possessing the Spirit of God. Joseph, uh, Moses, uh, a certain uh, Bezalel, uh, the craftsman who put together the tabernacle, uh, is is said to have been filled with the Spirit. Uh, The elders of Israel in Numbers 11, uh, David, uh, even Saul. Uh, the the uh, ungodly King Saul for a season uh, had the Spirit in some uh, way, in some measure. 
Uh, and we know, we know, as the Scriptures teach, that no one can believe in God, uh, nor obey God or keep the law, except by the Spirit's doing. Uh, so we cannot suppose that, that the Old Testament saints did not possess the Spirit of God. Uh, in fact, actually, if you look, read the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John, you will see that the disciples, the disciples uh, were given the Spirit of God before the day of Pentecost. Uh, John 20, verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Now receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, so even they uh, had the Spirit of God uh, in some way, in some measure. Uh, so what happened then? What, what is so special about Pentecost? What changed? Well, what changed is not that the Spirit was absent before and is present now. Uh, what changed is the scale and the degree, the scope uh, of the Spirit's outpouring. That's why we speak of the Spirit being poured out. Uh, what changed as well are the special gifts that accompanied that outpouring. And this is how Peter himself explains it in Acts chapter 2. He quotes from Joel, uh, the prophecy of Joel. Uh, and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's the difference. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. So what changed? What changed is a pouring out as opposed to what you might call a small trickle. In the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit was there. But how, how few believed how few possessed the Spirit. Uh, even in the days of Elijah, uh, God says, I've kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So that's 7,000 who possess the Spirit of God in a, in a mighty uh, nation of millions. Uh, the Spirit was among very few. Uh, what changed uh, is, is the Spirit being poured out because now, on the day of Pentecost, is the day of the harvest. Now the Spirit will be poured out so that the harvest might begin. Uh, now the presence and power of the Spirit to change hearts, to bring about obedience uh, to the law, uh, now is the day when it will happen. And so it speaks of on all flesh, as opposed to among merely a few. Uh, nor uh, contained only to the people of Israel, but now poured out on all uh, flesh, on all the nations. Uh, we might mention as well what changed on the day of Pentecost. Uh, on that day when the Spirit was poured out, the day was marked by special signs. That's what Joel speaks of. On, on that day, you're going to see signs that the Spirit has been poured out. Uh, signs that indicate the inauguration of that harvest. Uh, Peter mentions a few. Uh, visions, dreams, prophecies. And perhaps chiefly among, uh, among that category of prophecies, uh, we see this miraculous gift of the gift of tongues, uh, symbolizing uh, uh, more clearly than anything else, uh, symbolizing that the day of the harvest had come, that the gospel is going out to all the nations as it's even being proclaimed in the tongues of all of those nations. 
It helps us to understand, too, why the gift of tongues would later cease uh, as the church grew and spread and established itself in those nations. The gift was no longer needed to declare uh, that the church had now gone beyond the borders of Israel because that, that fact is declared uh, clearly enough by the church's existence now in those places. Uh, this is why, then, this is why we want to be careful to understand the Feast of Pentecost for what it actually stood for, which is the day of the harvest, the harvest of the nations. Uh, in Reformed circles, we, we typically, if you were to ask a, a Reformed believer, uh, what is Pentecost all about? We would typically answer that question with, well, Pentecost is the day of the Holy Spirit or the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's true, but it, we, we might lose sight there of, of the purpose for which the Spirit was poured out. Uh, and that, that's what leads us into this false dichotomy, false division between pre-Spirit and post-Spirit, as if the Spirit was not there in the Old Testament. This is why we want to remember the Old Testament feast and take our starting point there. Uh, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is the harvest feast. Or in contemporary terms, Pentecost is the day of world missions. That's what the feast is all about. It's the inauguration of Christ's global mission to gather the nations for himself. And the Spirit and the Word are the means of that gathering. Uh, Pentecost and marks the day that the mission began, having uh, Christ having bought the nations for himself by his blood, having then ascended into heaven to uh, sit at the Father's right hand and to begin his reign, uh, being given that kingdom as his possession. Then Christ, uh, 49 days, or no, only a few days later after Ascension Day, uh, then Christ begins the great harvest uh, by pouring out his spirit uh, on the nations. That's what we celebrate on the day of Pentecost. Now, we should pause and and then look at the difference. Consider the difference between uh, the biblical meaning of Pentecost and the rabbinical understanding of of this same feast. Uh, The Jews, even to this day, as I mentioned, uh, celebrate Pentecost as the, the, the commemoration of the giving of the law, and they forget how powerless it is to produce the righteousness of God. So year after year, they they celebrate the gift, the law. And year after year, they fail to understand the law's meaning and they fail to live according to the law's truth. The law was given without the Spirit. And what happened? Well, Exodus 32 happened and 3,000 people died. But what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was given? uh, The uh, the Spirit came with power and 3,000 people are saved. Uh, They are baptized, they are gathered into Christ's newborn church. It's exactly, uh, it makes you think of the words of Paul uh, some years later to the church in Corinth. uh, As the church in Corinth was being uh, seduced by Judaizers trying to lead them back to uh, an obedience to the rabbinical tradition. uh, And Paul says to them, no, the letter kills, but the spirit gives, gives life. You see the difference there in Exodus 32 and Acts chapter 2. So, what does this mean for us today? Uh, Now, 2,000 years after the inauguration of of this mission. Well, in the first place, uh, we we commemorate this day 
Because we need to see ourselves within this great story of redemption. Do you? Do you see yourself as part of God's uh, uh, amazing story of saving sinners from death and gathering them into His kingdom? Uh, Do you see the grace of God reaching you, uh, a Gentile, someone who is far removed from from the hope of Israel, uh, God reaching out to give you His Word, to give you His Spirit, to bring you from darkness to light, from death to life. Are you amazed by the story of Pentecost and all that it means for you? Uh, Secondly, Do you still hope? Do you still hold on to this same hope that the harvest would continue? There's still a world out there. A world that does not know God. A world that remains under the dominion of Satan and his power and rule. And it's a world that rightfully now belongs to Christ who's bought that world with his blood and is determined to take it. Is that part of your functional hope? Do you pray for that? Uh, Do do you pray for that for this country of Canada? Seeing this place, uh, this country, uh, as bought by Christ's blood uh, and and will ultimately be taken by Him. Uh, Do you pray for that as well for the nations that are still far off? For the tribes and tongues that have never heard uh, the gospel of Christ? When we, when we learn to see ourselves uh, as part of this amazing story of redemption, uh, I really believe it changes us as well, uh, and, and it helps us to have a gospel vision for the world. If Christ could reach me, then Christ can reach my neighbor, uh, and Christ will. If the gospel could make it this far by God's grace uh, and by the power of the Spirit, then the gospel is going to keep going and it's going to reach the ends of the earth. Uh, And if Christ, through His Word and His Spirit, uh, can do what He has done in my life, bringing me from from darkness to light, uh, teaching me to know Him and to love Him, uh, and to love also, yes, His law, uh, to see it as a law of freedom and liberty, then what can the gospel not do? Uh, if, if he can fulfill, if God can fulfill his promise for the nations thus far, uh, why should we believe God cannot fulfill that promise uh, to the very end? Uh, if he can take the hardest of hearts and the most ignorant of people uh, and bring them to the knowledge of his grace uh, and give them new hearts, uh, can he not continue that work in our world today? Do you have that that Pentecost vision for your neighbors, for your co-workers, for others uh, whom God brings into your life, and of course, in particular, for yourself, since there is still room for you to grow in, in righteousness, for that harvest of righteousness to continue to be reaped increasingly from you in your life? Does the joy of Pentecost, in other words, also captivate you? Uh, Thirdly, uh, this means that that we want to make sure that we are praying for the work of mission that's going on around us, uh, and especially the work of mission that God has has given us the opportunity to be a part of uh, as uh, as a church. 
Uh, right now, the gospel of Christ is, is being proclaimed in foreign tongues in the jungles of Papua New Guinea by missionaries uh, that we support, Reverend Klein, Reverend Mulder, uh, and the dozens of pastors that they have, have trained and, and discipled. Do we hold them in our prayers? Right now, the gospel of Christ is being proclaimed in downtown Hamilton uh, by, by Reverend Aceman to the poor and the forsaken and the forgotten in a community that is in, in desperate need of, of redemption and grace uh, that, that's marked in, in distinct ways by, by the effects of sin, poverty, addictions, uh, and, and needs God's transforming power. Right now, the gospel is there being proclaimed. Uh, right now, the gospel is being proclaimed in Quebec by Reverend Bedard, who, who has a vision uh, for the transformation of, of that province. Uh, right now, uh, the gospel is being proclaimed all over the Middle East by the uh, Middle East Reformed Fellowship. And, uh, and churches in those countries are being raised and, and discipled by Reverend Atala and, and those many pastors that he has trained and, and, dis- and discipled. Uh, right now, the uh, gospel is being proclaimed in Prince George uh, by Reverend Tim Shooten uh, to the lost and the broken and the needy in that place who, by God's grace, are also being gathered into his church. All right now, pastors all over Africa uh, are, are laboring to preach the gospel uh, in truth and in keeping with God's word and using resources uh, provided by the Timothy Project, another uh, work that we have the opportunity uh, to, to support. Right now, pastors as well are being trained uh, throughout Brazil and really throughout the whole of the Portuguese-speaking world uh, through the International Reformed Theological College, which we also as a church uh, have, have uh, been supporting. Uh, all, of, all of these are, are projects that we as a church have been given uh, the opportunity to take part in, to support. These are just the ones on our, on our regular uh, budget. And, and if you've been following the, the short reports of council, you'll know that uh, our church right now is also considering whether uh, God is leading us to support the, the mission work that's being done in, in Brampton by, by Reverend Underwater. Uh, one could mention as well the kingdom projects that uh, we support through our, our, our deacons collections, the Anchor Association for the Disabled uh, in our midst, the Canadian Reformed World Relief Fund, uh, Adoration Christian Center in, in Haiti, uh, the Asia Mission Board, the New Hope Orphanage in West Timor, uh, the Reformed Faith and Life radio broadcast, the Ontario Christian Gleaners, all of these kingdom projects uh, as well. Uh, and it's amazing that by God's grace, we have the opportunity to be part of this Pentecost work, uh, laboring in these, these kingdom projects. Do we have a Pentecost vision for these? Uh, do we see the, the money that we pour into these, these diverse projects uh, as investments for the kingdom of Christ, uh, furthering that harvest, uh, uh, each contributing to that harvest hope which is envisioned in, in, in Psalm 67 and in uh, Micah 4, as we saw a couple weeks ago? Do we, do we recognize that all of these projects depend for their success on the Spirit's work there? Uh, no rules, no laws, no regulations by themselves will produce what we're after, that harvest of righteousness. They need the Spirit of God. And if so, do we pray for those projects accordingly? 
And so we celebrate Pentecost to not only uh, commemorate uh, the fulfillment of God's promises uh, in, in the inauguration of, of the harvest, uh, but we commemorate the day so that we ourselves more and more uh, would cultivate that same vision to be part of that same harvest today. Now, have we considered how God has given us, each of us as, as individuals or as families, uh, opportunity to take part in the harvest work, uh, to be so filled with the Spirit ourselves uh, that the Spirit's joy and the Spirit's wisdom and the Spirit's passion for the glory of God uh, overflows from us into the lives of others? Now, if all, this, if all this leads you to wonder, I'll close on this, if this leads to you to wonder, how can I be more filled with the Spirit of God? Uh, since I feel, perhaps you feel, deficient in the Spirit's presence and power. Well, here's how, uh, going by the biblical uh, prescription. Uh, number one, listen to the Word of God. That's what we're doing right now. Uh, The Spirit always accompanies the Word. The Spirit never works apart from the Word. Uh, So whether you're reading the Word in private or studying the Word together in groups or listening to the Word as, as God's congregation, be engaged with the Word of God. That's the tool of the Spirit. And number two, uh, if there are any guests who happen to be uh, listening to this who are not baptized and gathered into Christ's church, then do so. Uh, Turn from a life of sin to a life of obedience and begin that, inaugurate that by coming forward to be baptized. You can see I'm getting that from uh, Acts chapter 2. The people were uh, cut to the heart when they heard Peter's sermon. uh, And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter uh, said to them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That also means for those of us who are baptized and are gathered into the church, uh, you need to make that repentance and that confession a a continual part of your Christian life. Uh, The Spirit does not work in hard hearts except to soften them and change them and humble them. Uh, So do you want to be filled with the Spirit? If you have sin that needs confessing, confess it, deal with it. Humble yourself before God and He will lift you up. Uh, Number three, pray. Pray to God. Uh, Luke 11, verse 13, the words of the Lord Jesus, uh, where He said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is what our our catechism also uh, says when it uh, deals with uh, the topic of of prayer in the Christian life. It says prayer is the most important part of the Christian life because God will give His grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. So pray. Pray uh, as well because the Spirit works through prayer. Uh, When we listen to God's Word, uh, we believe His Word and then we respond in prayer. And the Spirit works through that. And even, in fact, looking back at that, uh, we can recognize the Spirit having carried us through all of that. The listening, uh, the believing, and the responding. All of that is the Spirit's work. 
Let me just say a quick word to the children among us. If you've been able to follow along this far, uh, then you know that, that what we're celebrating at Pentecost is Jesus gathering all the nations for uh, Himself, just like a farmer might gather their crops at the end of, of the years, uh, at the end of the harvest. Uh, and so, children, pray for these two things. Pray that Jesus would continue to send His Spirit into the world uh, to change hearts, uh, to send His Spirit to people who don't obey God, and to give them new hearts. Uh, And secondly, pray that God would also give you His Spirit more and more so that He would lead you to always obey Him and love Him because you also are part of Jesus' harvest. So pray for those who don't know God that they would be part of the harvest and pray for yourself that you would be part of that harvest. To the young people too among us, uh, do not neglect your prayer life. Do not be like the Pharisees, uh, believing that, it, that, that having rules, uh, living an outwardly uh, ordered Christian life, uh, is somehow a substitute uh, for having a meaningful relationship with God filled by the Spirit. Having rules is not going to lead you to greater and greater Christ-likeness. It's not going to produce in you that new life or that love for God that you need. It won't work. It never does. You need the Spirit of God. So receive the Spirit through the Word that's your spiritual food and through prayer uh, where you're crying out to God for help along the way and the Spirit is working with you through your prayer. It's what Paul says in Romans 8. The Spirit, uh, when we pray, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So then all of us, brothers and sisters, let us keep this feast uh, by rejoicing at the harvest, giving thanks to God uh, that we are part of uh, the harvest, uh, that we get to be both the wheat that is gathered in and by God's grace, the laborers who have the privilege of doing the gathering. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 76.